Hey, all you Theosciples, I'm Michael. And I'm Brendan from Finding Christ in Cinema. You are listening to the Theonauts Podcast with your hosts, David and Jeremiah. Right here at GCTNetwork.com, your Great Commission transmission. It's the Theonauts. Episode 137. The one where we make like Mark and become Team Barnabas. The Theonauts Podcast. Christian news from around the globe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Explore the vast reaches of God's Word. Hello, all you Theo-encouragers out there. I'm David Gaddy. I'm Jeremiah Orr. And I'm Richard McKibben. And together we are... The The Theonauts! What is that? We have a little luck of the Irish with us tonight? Yes! Woohoo! Welcome to the show, Richard. Uh, Thank you. It's good to be here. Um, You know, whenever you do the whole uh, I'm David and I'm Jeremiah thing, I always uh, think of Bill and Ted. It's... I, it's always wild stallions. It's always reminded me of. Uh, <laughs> <Bill and Ted. laughs> we should totally do that. Yeah. That's great, man. <laughs> great insight. Well, yeah, we're happy to have you on the show, Mister Richard McKibben. You wearing your uh, Hug Life kitty shirt tonight, <laughs> which is pretty epic. I love that shirt, man. Yes, I kind of sort of like it. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, where are you from, Richard? I'm from Northern Ireland. I come from a little town outside Belfast called Cumber. I'm, uh, I have a background in politics. I also, uh, from that background, I actually work in the food service industry. But uh, <laughs> Well, hey, you know what? Politics, food service industry is way better, I'm just telling you. It is. <laughs> That's awesome. So how long have you been in the United States? I've been here for six years. Six years? Yeah. You like it? Yeah, yes. Do you miss Ireland ever? Uh, sometimes. Uh, it's coming up to mid- mid-July if you're familiar with Northern Ireland and if you're f- familiar with uh, my part of the country, it's you can understand why I miss it. But it's uh, <laughs> Or if you live in Texas, you yeah. understand why you it, miss it. Right now we are boiling hot. Right we now. are. Yes, it's... Uh, we were out doing a bit of a, a few service projects today, and I was out doing some painting outside for a while, and it was uh, extremely hot. Super hot, but yeah. it's gorgeous in Ireland, I yeah. guess. Huh? Yeah. That's nice, man. Yeah, we did do service projects today. We actually, uh, <laughs> this is the second day of doing yeah. John 13, which yeah. is... Let's talk about that some. Our small town banded together. All the churches in the area, mm-hmm. most of the churches in the area. Yeah, yeah. Man, we had a Church of Christ. We had a Baptist. We had Pentecostal. Pentecostals. We had non-denominationals. Yeah, and yeah. everybody joining together. With we had Methodists. Yes, it was. It was like a, a little picture of heaven, Christian unity. Yes, yes. It was. It was really cool, and that was kind of the point of the whole thing. Yeah. Um, so we actually we kind of got the idea from something that happens up with our brothers in Tennessee, uh-huh. Michael and Brendan up there. You know, uh, Michael has been uh, uh, following this One Day of Hope project that they have up there, right? And of course, it's a bigger thing. 
there's like 40 churches or something in the Oh, hall. wow. And so, uh, but that's mostly everyone comes to a fairground and everyone, you know, gets food and, right. and prayed for and, and that sort of thing. And so we kind of took that idea in a, in the small town here and was like, hey, let's try and build something that will unite the churches here right. in our little town. Uh, and so what, what we focused on was projects that would serve in the community. Yes. Like, uh, there's a lot of lower income people in this, in this community. A ton. Uh, Fannin <laughs> County is probably the, the poorest, if not the second poorest county in the state of Texas. Mm-hmm. When you think about that, the state of Texas has a lot of counties. Yeah. And for Fannin County, which is the county we live in to be that, that poor, um, you know, it's kind of a sad thing. And so there's a lot of ministry that needs to happen here. Yeah. We've got like, uh, probably a good third of the houses here in town are, are government authority right. homes. And uh, then we have a slum, slumlord type of uh, apartment complex here. Um, but yeah, what we ended up doing was we, we changed, uh, there was a handicapped lady who lives here. We changed out her floors. Like she had this nasty rug. She couldn't clean it very well and et cetera, et cetera. Right. We tore all that out. We put down laminate flooring uh, or linoleum flooring. Uh, there's another lady here in town, sweet lady, lives in this old house that the electricity doesn't work anymore because it's <laughs> wired 80 years ago. Yeah, I remember her sending pictures of this winter of the dishes frozen in her sink. In the sink. Yeah. Frozen yeah. in the sink. Can you imagine? My. Anyway, so we, we couldn't rewire the home. So right. we ran wiring on the outside of the home and, and created a new wiring system just to run her uh, window units. Right. Um, so anyway, there was that. We had to replace some sheetrock in uh-huh. there. This It's just been, we had like over 50 uh, volunteers from all the different churches in, in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, what we couldn't find skilled laborers, you know, to do. We put them on painting and sent them around town. Which would have been me. I was on yeah, painting. I mean, and we, yeah. we had, uh, you know, the the local baseball field, which right. is just a community-owned thing. It's not even really uh, part of the city. Right. And we painted the bleachers out there and painted the... Uh, the, bathrooms the bathrooms. And cleaned the bathrooms. Painted all the park benches in the park. Did all the, the football bleachers mm-hmm. at the, the local high school football field. And so, you know, it was a really good two days outreach. And tomorrow they're going at it again. I won't yeah. be there because I'm going to Super Summer yeah. starting tomorrow. But, oh, wow. Yeah. But, yeah, it was a it was a great thing. We're going to finish up tomorrow night. We're gonna, uh, Tomorrow night we're going to have fireworks. Yeah. And... and Live out- band. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be awesome. Um, and the feedback has been astronomical, just tremendous from yeah. the both the volunteers and from the people that we were helping. I I, I was laughing. One of the uh, th- this lady that we changed her floors out for. She's a real piece of work. And uh, anyway, she was in her little wheelchair. And uh, one of the th- one of the things she did whenever we. We finished. We got all her furniture back in. Is she was in the middle of the of her living room and she cut this donut in her wheelchair <laughs> right in the middle of the living room. And she was <laughs> like, "Like something you would have done." <laughs> and she goes, "This doesn't even look like my house. How is this happening?" <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought that was so great. You know, it's an amazing <laughs> thing when when people people of God can band together and do something like that mm-hmm. and share. You know, just the grace of God and it. It transforms people's lives. It's kind of you know what what the gospel yeah. writers were writing about. I think I don't go figure. And then, you know, one of the <laughs> preachers that was working with us uh, pulled up while we were finishing up on one of the projects, and 
reached out his window, shook my hand, and was like, God showed up today. Yeah. And he was just like, this is this is the most one of the most God honoring things that we've ever done here. Amen. And it's and I think that echoes into I mean it does basically what we talk about on the show all the time is that church doesn't happen in a building it no. happens in the community it's real it, life yes it's about it's about bringing living in community together yeah following Jesus and mm-hmm. where did Jesus do his ministry it wasn't in a synagogue I mean yeah he there are examples of him being there right but most of his ministry was out in the was streets. out in people's homes right. and you know out and working and and being with people. Amen. The, the biggest part of it for me was the whole unity aspect because a lot of the ta- time the, the churches, the denominations that were represented wouldn't even consider working with each other, um, but somehow it worked out and some and it, it seems to have worked very, very well. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that, it, it from exceeded, that perspective, it's exceeded our expectations. Game. Right, you know. We were really not, not expecting some of these denominations to play well together, but, they, they, but they did. Yeah, they all came out in a great way. Yeah. So yeah. praise the Lord for that. So um, what's the Super Summer thing, dude? Dude, I'm going, well, you know what Super Summer is. Well, yeah, but I listen. And I think our listeners do, too. They've, uh, I've gone through it for two years. Yeah. The youth camp, it's a youth camp, but it's a leadership camp well it's more i guess discipleship camp it's where i take the leaders of the youth group and we go for a week and man it is like 90 percent bible study and uh lessons and 10 percent fun but the kids just eat it up it's a week where we go away we go on to (coughs) a college campus and we soak up the word of god and so uh i'm really excited about doing this tomorrow um i leave tomorrow and then the kids will join me on monday the leaders go weekend early and get prepared spiritually yeah. and and mentally, and so uh, I'm I'm ready. I'm excited. I wasn't at first. This year is a little bit different than than other years. I've been kind of tired, and well, I mean, life, life, a lot of stuff's mm-hmm. going on, and so. But as it's as it's gotten closer and closer, I'm ready to go tomorrow, and I'm I'm really excited. So please be in prayer for uh, our youth as they go um, to hear from hear from the Lord this year. We're really excited about it. Yeah, so I think it's going to be great. Yeah. All right, are we ready to jump into our topic? Hey, let's do this. Well, the reason we invited Brother Ricky here is because he gave a phenomenal sermon, one of my favorites that he's done uh, at our church uh, last Sunday, and I thought this would be a perfect topic to discuss on Theonauts, because we've never covered this person before in the depth that Ricky covers him. Mm-hmm. And so uh, <laughs> we're going to give Ricky basically the leeway in this and make our comments whenever we make them, you know, yeah. do what we do. But uh, Ricky, tell us who we're talking about and what's going on. Uh, well, we're talking about uh, Barnabas today. Uh, the reason I picked Barnabas is because I like him. I like him a lot. I, I I would like to say I identify with him, but I identify with wanting to be like him mm-hmm. because he, in a, in some some ways, a very background way, does a lot of good in church. He's if you, if you actually read the scripture, and we'll talk about this uh, throughout throughout the study, is some of the things he did. Christianity may not even be here if he didn't do some of the things or even Christianity as we know it may not be even here. A lot of the, our Bible wouldn't be here. Uh, 
if we didn't have if Barnabas didn't do some of the things he did so uh, this guy a lot of people just seem to gloss over him I, I think uh, that's doing him a very big dis- disservice because if you actually think about you know bringing in Paul and bringing in Mark into the fold he, he is someone who actually played a very very uh, pivotal and key role in maybe in a more indirect way but still a very pivotal and direct uh, direct role in the Gospels, uh, as we know today. Yeah, when you're thinking of Barnabas, you know, and you say that you want to be like Barnabas, he's somebody you look up to, it's not not typical. A lot of people don't look in in Scripture and see Barnabas and go, that's that's the guy. I want to emulate my life after that guy. It's usually, like, one of the famous people, you know, like Peter or, or... Paul, Paul, obviously, um, you know. King David. Yeah, King David. Moses. Right, so many of these others. And so you say that Barnabas is, is your hero uh, in the New Testament, which is really interesting. So, um, Well, before we get started too much, I have to mention, I love the fact that your notes are written on a piece of cardboard. That's epic. Yes. <laughs> um, that's a perfect theonautical uh, Yes, it's style very right theonautical. Uh, what happened was I was told I was that we were going to record this on Tuesday. Um, Plans fell through, but (laughs) I was at work and was going to go straight from work to the the studio slash coffee shop here. And um, I realized that I didn't have my notes with me. So I work in the food service industry in uh, uh, a Texas institution that is Whataburger. Woohoo, Whataburger! Fancy ketchup, man. Oh, man, I love That's actually, there's a, in, in the fancy ketchup boxes, there's these bits of cardboard that um, kind of divide the, the layers of ketchup. ketchup. <laughs> so I found one of those and quickly jotted down my notes. I couldn't find my other notes, so I brought them along tonight with me. Awesome. So it's a fancy ketchup type of night. Right. All right. So let's get rolling here. Um, where, do we, where do we want to start there, Richard? I, I think the best place to start is... Where we first meet Barnabas, we okay. we, we first meet him uh, in, in Acts thirty six uh, or in Acts four verses thirty six and thirty seven. Okay. Um, bit of context: the church is uh, growing leaps and bounds here, pretty early on, and uh, everyone is having everything in common and selling piece of land. And then we're introduced to this guy Barnabas. If you could, yeah. So uh, Acts four verse thirty six through uh, thirty seven says, "Thus." I'm in the ESV. Okay, thus, thus, I was thinking, wow. In the ESV, yeah, it thus. says, thus, wow. Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So, yeah, it's a common thing that was happening. In fact, this kind of inspires the story that we're pretty familiar with in the next chapter of Ananias and Sapphira, uh, of this whole thing about uh, them selling a piece of land and lying about how much they sold it for and trying to pass it off as a good deed and ending up getting killed. Right, but it starts with Barnabas. Yeah, yeah. They were, they were emulating him. Yeah. And even in that story, Barnabas, who is, starts off as a hero, is overshadowed in that story. He right. he's kind of t- tends to be overshadowed a lot, and I don't think he really minds it. Um, <laughs> 
but uh, do you find your character wrapped up in Barnabas all that much? Mm, I don't. You're just you're such a quiet person in uh, like in crowds and yeah. such. Yes, I gotta like turn your mic up. You know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in some ways, I, I kind of identify with him in that way, but in in another way, because he was someone who was able to bring people in, I. I really would like to be like that, but I don't know if I'm there yet. So. Okay. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, with Barnabas, we um, we find out a couple of things that Barnabas isn't actually his given name. His uh, his his name his parents gave him is Joseph. There's a lot of Josephs kicking about the Bible. Uh, so, but what happens was the uh, the apostles give him this other name. Barnabas, the son of encouragement, you know, to have someone, just someone to say you're you're the son of encouragement, and to carry that name with you um, is really something that, you know, a lot of us have a reputation. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know. Yes. <laughs> All of us have a reputation. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> and this man's reputation is right there in front of, of yeah. you whenever you... To be you an encourager. So he's... You know, to have your rep- reputation not known, do you want it to be a good reputation or do you want it to be a bad reputation? And this guy certainly had a very, very good reputation and a, a reputation that we can see throughout the rest of the study that is a well-earned reputation, I believe. Hmm. But he's he's this guy who, if you bumped into him in the street and you're feeling, feeling low, but you just bumped into him in the street, after talking to him, you'd, pro- you'd probably be set up for the day. You'd be, <laughs> you know, I'm really glad I met Barnabas out in the street today. I was really, really, really pleased to meet him, and you know he was very, very encouragement. And there's people like that. You two have been like that to me in the past. Other people uh, in our community, other people who's probably going to listen to me because I'm on it, uh, have been like that to me in the past and continue to be like that to me. So, um, I first of all I'd like to thank them and thank you, but. Isn't it, you know, isn't wonderful to have people like that even today? Mm-hmm. Um, as I'm sure you know, you two people know, um, people who are who are like that. If you bumped into the street and you're you're really really glad to have saw them, really <clears throat> encouraged and really kind of thankful. Like yeah, they can change your whole mood. They can yeah. change your whole outlook on life just spending some time with them. Yeah. you know. Um, Son of encouragement is—it's kind of an interesting uh, praise to give somebody. You can think of so many different. It's really things. unique, isn't it? Yeah, you can think of so many different things or spiritual gifts that people love to have. You know, shepherding, and I believe encouragement is a spiritual gift. Yeah, uh, it's a it, and well, it's it's a shepherding gift too. That's right. And so, but you have you know, you have all these different ones. But I think encouragement is so important, and it's one that we overlook mm-hmm. more than a lot of other uh, spiritual gifts. But yeah. Well, it, if you think about it, how much how much do we get discouraged? Oh yeah. I mean, that's like I mean, there's all kinds of things that plague our lives, all kinds of problems that happen in our lives, 
And it's like, if you don't have someone there to say, you know, it's going to be all right, dude. Right. God's got this, you know, or to pick you up whenever you're you're struggling and and be that hand or that extra you know boost and we can see we can see this played out in scripture you know Moses had Aaron right yeah yeah you, we have David who had Jonathan mm-hmm. we i mean we can keep keep on walking down and we can see time after time that these great heroes in the faith or these you know patriarchs yeah they had sons of encouragement holding up their arms yeah. right yeah yeah, yeah. all the time and even matthew 10 when he, when he's sending them out or i guess it says it in luke uh he sends them out in twos in pairs right and i think there's a reason why you do that you know it's harder to do this stuff on an island by yourself yeah but if you got yeah. someone there that can pick up the slack whenever you're you know and and that's apparently what barnabas was was known for. Yeah, it was known for. It's pretty awesome. So when it so to have this guy coming in very early on in the church is something that's uh you know very I think God of course placed him there, but that's Sure. Well, yeah, and yeah. it is early. It's Acts 4. We're yeah. we're talking about right here. Right off the bat. Yeah, so you know, Saul hasn't even been in uh, converted at this point. Right. It's a big yeah. deal. So, okay, keep going. Okay, uh, second thing we, we realize about Barnabas is that he is a member of the tribe of Levi. Um, now, this is where we I kind of get a bit left field at the minute. Um, talking to some people from uh, Jewish backgrounds and whatever, I asked the question, uh, you know, would Levites like, have had a... You know, they were the priestly tribe they would have had some kind of some extra religious uh, training because they were training in in a sense to be priests. So uh, I think this plays in later on to some of the things that uh, reason why Barnabas is sent to Antioch, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, on like a fact-finding mission. I think because he would have had respect from those from a Jewish background, he would also have had respect from people from a uh, could have not because he was who he was a son of encouragement. He could talk to people from a non-Jewish background as well. So uh, I think that's something. Um, I think I mentioned on Sunday that it, I think there's only three people in the New Testament whose tribe is actually mentioned. Mm-hmm. One is Christ Himself, who was a member of the tribe of Judah, the kingly tribe. Another one is Benjamin, who's or another one is Saul who was a member of the tribe of Benjamin. That's not exactly a surprise that someone called Saul would be a member of the tribe of Benjamin. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, Happened because, once before. Yeah, uh, <laughs> he least. was the only king who was a member of the tribe of Benjamin in the Old Testament, so it would be obvious that uh, someone who was called Saul would probably be a member of the a tribe Benjamite, of Benjamin. Yep. <laughs> but here we've got uh, Joseph being referred to by his tribe, so I think there's something important there. My whole thing, this is uh, speculation, it's... Uh, so it's not really backed up, but it's backed up a, a bit of research, but not <coughs> much. Um, it's really uh, speculation. So, but I think that's that's why him being a Benjamite or not a, a Benjamin being a Levite, a Levite mm-hmm. was important because he was able, he would have been able to be bridge the gap, bridge the, the gap sense, in yeah. a sense between the. Uh, devout Jews and he was probably a very devout Jew himself he came from Cyprus to Jerusalem uh, so 
he's obviously converted to Christianity now. But so he's obviously a very uh, devout Jew before that. So I sure. think that's one of the reasons why his tribe is mentioned here. He's, well, at, at this point, there wasn't a lot of distinction before between Christianity and Judaism. They were still mm-hmm. Jews. They just believed that the Messiah was Jesus, yes. and so yeah. they practiced their Judaism still. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so yeah, you're right. I, I bet he was a, a very devout, very devout Jew. Um, so interesting. Of course, we're told he's a, a native of Cyprus, and uh, of course, he sold a field, and he, he probably was a man of means. Mm-hmm. But it's still a sacrificial thing to do. So he was sacrificial, and it didn't seem like anything for him to just see, sell his field and give it to the apostles' feet. It just was something that was in his heart. And, he well, did it. and it obviously made an impression. And it made right. an impression. Because it made people want to, to do that and yes. to get the same type of recognition. So it may have been a considerable sum of money. I don't know, but probably the fact that it was mentioned was that it was a considerable sum. A and deal, because yeah. Ananias and Savara tried to emulate it, it right. was probably... a you know, a decent amount of money there. Yeah. So, uh, the guy, he was like, if it's his, it's also the church's. And we see that previously in the chapter that basically the whole church was like that anyway. But this, this guy, it was ex- exemplified in, um, in, in Barnabas, so it, it's really uh, something that, although we don't see as because Barnabas is seems to be a man of means, it doesn't seem that he was superficial. But I think he was sur- sur- or sacrificial. I think he was sacrificial, um, mm-hmm. and that's something that we kind of some something we kind of gloss over in it. But we, yeah. I think it's something we can also look at in our own lives, um, and. Uh, well, I think simulate, where we can yeah. emulate that. I think a lot of times when we think about Barnabas, we think about the missionary trips or the, uh, the missionary trip that yeah. he made with with Paul, Paul. Mm-hmm. and um, and we often don't think about his involvement in other places, you know, like this. Yeah, like most people don't realize that he was named this early on. He's that guy. Yeah, you know, the guy that sold the field. But uh, he's also <laughs> mentioned in right after Saul's conversion, right? Yeah, Acts nine twenty seven and twenty eight. We're talking about uh, if you would yeah read that. Okay, I'm going to start in verse twenty six. It says uh, now this is uh, right after Saul's conversion. It says and when he came and when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord and, and who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. This is actually my favorite instant. Uh, this is actually my favorite account of Barnabas mm-hmm. right here because... Although it's something very, very few people think of, it is so pivotal mm-hmm. in the gospel because if it wasn't for Barnabas, would Paul have carried on? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, here's a guy who spends a greater part of his professional life 
persecuting Christians, right? Yeah, and yeah. breathing, the Bible says breathing hate, right, mm-hmm. against the Christians. Going to arrest Christians, uh, killing Christians, that was his MO as Saul, right? And all of a sudden, God takes him and transforms his life. He turns into somebody else. But immediately, you've got you've to feel for the guy. Yeah. Because the very people he's been hating on this whole time, now all of a sudden, he's one of their brothers and sisters, and he has to convince them of that. Oh, yes. That's an uphill battle. It's a total uphill battle. So can you imagine his apprehension even going into the heart of Christianity, which was in Jerusalem at the time, mm-hmm. and talking mm-hmm. with the brothers and sisters yes. in Jerusalem. I mean, this would be a big deal. Yeah. Yes, it's a make-or-break thing for Saul. Yeah. Uh, did any either of you guys see any of the AD miniseries that happened, I guess, last year? I saw some of it. I didn't see the... It was actually pretty good. I was, I was kind of impressed. I wasn't expecting a whole lot coming from the whole... Um, all the people who did it, Roma the Downey Bible. and yeah, it was Roma Downey and yeah. whatever. But uh, but actually, I was kind of impressed with it, and it dealt with this stuff. It dealt with with uh, Peter, especially having a really hard time dealing with Paul sure. coming in and this whole thing. And but to be honest, I can't even re- really remember them portraying Barnabas. Yeah, like utilizing <laughs> Barnabas in this. Yeah. But the passage clearly tells us that he's. He's the one who bridged the gap. He was the he was the the one who was living up to his name, right? Yeah, yeah. the peacemaker and the son of encouragement, right yes. there. But even when you look at it, you've got the apostles thinking this guy's a spy. He's yeah. coming in to spy on us, huh? And here's Barnabas coming out to the spy mm-hmm. and revealing himself as a Christian. Wow! Yeah. Think about that. That's a good point. He is revealing himself as a Christian to Paul here, yes. saying, look, he, here's, what's the story? You're saying you're one of us now, and, say, you know, and it's it's actually a very fair-minded man that would do that too. Someone who wants to bring someone in who he obviously believes that Paul was genuine, but he's saying, he's He's coming to Paul, Paul, and saying, "Look, or going to the apostles, saying, I think this guy's right. I think he's, I think he's genuine.' Wow. Mm-hmm. But without Barnabas taking a risk and taking a very, very big risk, I think this is actually a great example of Christian love. Yeah, absolutely. Because, because okay, Christian love is sacrificial. Yes. And and so if Barnabas died at the hands of Saul, it would have been worth it. Yes. Like that's in, that's what's in, in Barnabas's mind. Right. It would be worth it because this could be real. Yeah. And of course we could jump over into Paul's later writings and you might think that maybe some of this was inspired by these events when Paul's is describing Christian love and Paul's talking about what Christian love is and the pa- the famous passages in Ro- in 1 Corinthians 13 about what love is right. and one of the things that he to me is one of the most powerful parts of the chapter is when he says love uh, bears all things it believes 
all things. It hopes all things, and it endures all things. Yeah, Barnabas is authentic in his love towards Paul. Yes. And he absolutely. believes Paul, and yes. he hopes for Paul. Yes. And, and he's he's 100% with reckless abandon, really. Mm-hmm. Reckless and abandon. And if it doesn't work out, Trusting. it will endure all things. Yes. Like, this is, this is a true love in this man's heart. Yeah. So, you know, we can take a lot from this this Barnabas guy. I mean, he's really mm-hmm. being an authentic Christian even so early on. And uh, the point you made, I mean, think about Paul's impact on the you, church. You know, we're, we're going to talk about Mark and how if Barnabas weren't there, the gospel of Mark wasn't written. <laughs> but if Paul isn't there... Half the New Testament's not written. Half the New Testament. <laughs> That's more right, isn't written. Yeah. More than half, yeah. You know, I personally think if it wasn't for Barnabas, we wouldn't have a New, De- New Testament at all. Because <laughs> That's very good, yeah. You know, uh, Luke was uh, someone who was kind of a disciple of Paul. Mark, mm-hmm. of course. But Mark was the first gospel writer with the other gospel writers have came in behind Mark right, if that, right, ha- right. that had happened. <clears throat> so, uh, again, conjecture, but uh, maybe God would raise someone else. But at the same time, Barnabas is so important to Christianity as we know it today and to the Bible as we know it today because he put his arm around two guys. Yeah. Well, think about the 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 very first missionary trip the very yeah. first mission trip who was involved it's paul and barnabas oh, yeah so uh so you've got on here in your notes acts 11 right so let's jump over there and look at uh what's going on in acts 11 so this is where paul and barnabas are at antioch syria and that's where they're first called christians yeah uh, according to the scriptures here but um if we look in verse, uh, let's see, what do you got? 19, let's start with 19. It says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to Hellenists, or those are the Greek-speaking Jews, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch, which I think is very interesting. They sent the guy to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. There's that little note right there in the first part of verse 24 that clues you in on how revered Barnabas was mm-hmm. to the people of Acts. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Mm-hmm which is pretty powerful to speak about somebody. Can somebody look at you and go, you're a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith? Yeah. So it says there, it says, So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. 
For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. But it, and this comes back to what I was saying earlier about um, Barnabas being at, in the tribe of Levi. Levi I think that mm-hmm. played a, a role in why he was sent out. And of course, he was a good man, full of hope. But I think that's one of the reasons why he was sent out because on this fact-finding mission because he would have had the respect of the Jews as well as the, the Hellenists because he would have, you know, he was a very devout man and and someone who would have had that uh, extra ed- education. Um, what, what I find very, very interesting here is that um, he, he went... You know, is that he he was sent at all to to Antioch, and that uh, it was something that was slightly outside the box. It wasn't. I don't think it was preaching fully to Gentiles at this point, but it was uh, starting to reach Hellenistic Jews, which was kind of outside the box, as I say. Um, uh, I I love verse twenty three here. Uh, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord and steadfast with set with steadfast purpose. Um, so, this guy saw the grace of God and was happy. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder if I'm being very harsh on people when I say some some Christians are kind of resentful of the grace of God when it's shown to some people. Mm-hmm. I wonder yeah, if I'm yeah. a bit harsh there. Or am I no, I think that's very spot on. Um, <laughs> it's like, yeah, you know, why would God save that guy? It's, yeah. the, whole, it's that, the whole Jonah that, conundrum. That guy's right? a real yeah. mess. It's Jonah sitting up in his cabana watching <laughs> the Ninevites going, all right, God, strike him down. And yeah. then the Ninevites turning to God and Jonah going, what the crap, God? Why are you striking them down, right? It's yeah. that whole understanding of not not wanting to bestow grace on, on mm-hmm. others just simply because you're judging them. Yeah. And here here is a Levite. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Seeing Hellenistic Jews turn to Christ, uh, who are not tribes, mm-hmm. right, of any mm-hmm. any sort. And what does he do? He, he rejoices. He rejoices and- in it. Um, one thing that I, I pointed out uh, on Sunday was that uh, Antioch is where the name Christian was first used, which loosely translated as Little Christ. Mm-hmm. Of course, they didn't have the New Testament to go on here because... <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, they were called Little uh Christians, which is loosely translated little Christ. Right. But they didn't have the New Testament, so they didn't know how Christ lived or who Christ was. But yet the people in That's a really good point. Antioch were seeing these people and calling them little Christs. Who were they emulating? I would conjecture that they were emulating Barnabas. Because he was such a godly man, that they they followed in his footsteps. But when the people saw it, he said, yes, "These Christians here, these little Christs, who are these uh, doing 
do-gooders who are living really well that we don't really like. Mm-hmm. It's because they were, I think, uh, living kind of uh, like Barnabas. Well, yeah, he spends a whole year, in verse 26, it says, for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people, right? So he he and, and uh, Saul are spending an entire year discipling these these people at Antioch. And it's through that discipleship that they become little Christ, which yeah. is a yeah. which is a pretty powerful statement, right? Yeah, and you know, and another take on this, and it, it's just as powerful to me, but it's the but it's the flip side of this is I've often heard that this term Christian was not even necessarily a uh, term of endearment. No. But it could have been a disparaging thing. Like they were saying, oh, those little those little Christ out over there, you know, right. like this this uh, kind of a um, a negative term, yeah, a negative a, term that was yeah. being thrown at them. But um, slur. But at the same time, if he's doing that, it's the same. If he's causing that among the people that are disparaging you, like it le- it shows that you're sticking out. It shows that you are because people did Christ that way, right? Right. <laughs> so uh, anyway, either way, it works either yeah. way. Sure, so it's very good. So, uh, okay, so they get sent out from Antioch uh-huh. in, was this chapter 13? Yes, uh, chapter 13. I, I really want to um, just touch on this slightly. Okay. Um, I'm not really even going to have it read, but um, we, you've got Paul and Barnabas with a, a group of other people uh, who have various backgrounds, uh, one's uh, you've got uh, Barnabas of course, Simeon, who was called Niger yes uh, Lucius the Kif- Lucius, uh, the Cyrene mm-hmm. Manian. Manian the member of the court of uh, Herod uh, the the version I read the other night was li- the lifelong friend of Herod mm-hmm. uh And, uh, people, Saul. people that should not be together. To be honest, yeah, people who shouldn't really <laughs> hang out together. People who were of different denominations, yeah. and people who if, anybody if, that's a lifelong friend of Herod the Tatria. Yeah, what's Tatria, he doing there? I mean, <laughs> sent out as a teacher or a prophet. Yeah, this has always been a fascinating. It's very point unique. to me because it's like. This this is kind of the island of, of misplaced toys or whatever you know. I mean, it's the it's that it's this group of people. I mean, you, Simeon, who was called Niger, which, from what I've read, uh, this basically is implying that he was that he was. Fr- this word Niger means black. He was called black. Yeah. So he was probably, you know, black. Yeah, a black guy. <laughs> yeah, he was African. And and, and so, back then they weren't. You know, it's the same. Yeah, same thing. There was racial tension going on. <laughs> yeah. So and and so you've got all these different mixes going on here, uh, which is an awesome thing. I mean, this is a very good picture of Christian unity uh, uh, yeah. that, that's happening yeah. here. And here is Barnabas right in the middle of it with Saul. Yep. Pretty powerful. Yeah. And of course, they're uh, sent out on their first mission on the first missionary journey. Um, it's really something that's very interesting to me that, of course, they were together. Mm-hmm. They were together in a, with other people. They, they weren't kind of, you know, when I was in primary school, in elementary school, 
Uh, whoever was top of the English Premiership, all the kids supported. Yeah. And we call those people glory hunters. <laughs> so when when Blackburn Rovers, who were a very low club, won the championship, there's a lot of Blackburn Rovers fans, but the next year they all switched to Manchester United or whatever. Um, or Chelsea or who You are talking I have always wondered about that. Yeah. Like, so, <laughs> so um, but the people who kind of stuck to one team called those people glory hunters because they always hunted after the team that was yeah, on top. Yeah. So fair-weathered fans, as we'd say yeah, here in Texas. No kidding. So yeah. these or guys... bandwagoners. Yeah. Yeah. These guys weren't glory hunters. They were glory hunters in another way, but they were... Go ahead. They were glory hunters. Of course, they were seeking after God's glory, but they weren't seeking after their own glory. They were happy to be uh, in among other uh, leaders within the church, so... I think that's import, important and part yeah. of who Barnabas is. Well, um, I find it interesting here, too, that, um, and, and you had mentioned something about this, but I thought it was kind of cool. Um, when we're reading along here, it says there in verse 2 of chapter 13, it says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. <laughs> Um, you'd mentioned the fact that Barnabas's name is mentioned first. Yes. Um, I wasn't actually going to bring this up here, but well, I, I think I'm, it's cool. Well. Yeah, you need to. I, <laughs> I think that's because Barnabas is the leader, is the one who's kind of mentoring Paul at this, this stage through this first missionary journey because... Well, we're not calling him Paul yet, are we? In no. Scripture. Uh, so we're, we're seeing this kind of I just found it interesting. Was I was reading this, the um, through that whole uh, through that time, you know, uh, I can't remember which city it was, but they went in and they called Barnabas Zeus and they called uh, Paul Hermes. Now I'm not really that big on Greek mythology, but I know that Zeus is like the head god. Yeah, he's the king of the gods. He's the king of the gods. And Hermes is the messenger. Is, is yeah. the messenger. So it's almost as if they saw Barnabas directing th- things, but Paul speaking out and saying this is... It, I always find it kind of interesting that um, how that came, because we all think of as... Saul or Paul is the the leader, but perhaps it was actually Barnabas. Hmm. So, yeah, and that's a I, that's a huge point you make right there because it's it's a natural inclination because of course again Paul wrote half of the New Testament. Right, he's kind of a big deal in <laughs> in Christianum. Paul is, um, but at this point in time, I, I could very well see Barnabas being. I mean, we've had Barnabas since Acts three. Right? Yeah. So Barnabas being the leader here, Barnabas being the one that God set out to, you know, to lead and mentor Paul. And because we're looking back on it, we think of Paul as being in the lead role because of Paul, because where Paul took his Christianity. Right. But at this point in the ministry, you're right. I mean, he would have been the protege. Yeah. To the mentor. Yeah, it's like you and me, David. 
Okay, I don't know about that. I mean, you look back, <laughs> and you'll see that, you know, anyway. So keep going. What, what do we say? <laughs> uh, Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so where are we at there, uh, Richard? Are we ready to move to uh, yeah, we're Acts 15? Yeah, re- we're ready to move to Acts 15, 34 to 31. As he looks at his cardboard box. Yeah. Trying Unfold to out your cardboard notes. And let's see. <laughs> okay, so Acts 15, let's jump down to verse, uh, where are we looking at? 34? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so it says, And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take, take with them John, called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from one another. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So schism happens between these two guys. Yeah, Paul, you know, basically puts Barnabas in his place. And he wins this argument Young because he's never. right, and uh, and that's how that happens, right? I'm not so sure Paul was right. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, careful there. Okay, so little background. Yeah, from the from the first missionary journey, they took this guy with him, with them, John Mark, and it does, the scriptures don't give us any reasoning, but he copped out. As soon as they left the island right. of Cyprus and and landed in uh, Galatia, so it, when they hit the shore of Pamphylia, John Mark discontinued his journey with them and went back home. Mm-hmm. So and they continued on. Apparently, this didn't set well with Paul. Yeah, um, I kind of said in jest that I don't think Paul was right, but I, I'm not sure that this disagreement really had a right and wrong in it. I right. think there was both um, good arguments to be made. Good arguments for both. But what happened here is that they've had their argument. Again, we're showing Barnabas as the fair-minded, patient, someone who wants to bring someone in, not cast them out. Yeah. And then... You stop and think about it. It's the same, same grace, kind of grace Barnabas yeah. gave Paul yeah. early on. And that's why I would actually say that in the end, Barnabas is right. Yeah. Because he gives John Mark this grace, mm-hmm. right? And that's a big deal when you think about it. Yeah. Paul's one that says, nope, we can't use him. I have no use for him. I don't, I don't have any need for him. Yeah. I, you know, we, we don't want him. This guy's a washout. Yeah, he's yeah. a washout. He's a, he, you know, he's a flake. We're not taking him. <laughs> yeah. And all John Mark needs is a second chance. And Barnabas is, is like God yeah. in this picture mm-hmm. here. He's the one that goes, no, we're not going to do that. He may have flaked out on us once, but we're going to give him the benefit of the doubt. We're going to love him. We're going to believe mm-hmm. him. We're going to mm-hmm. hope. We're going to trust and takes him. It's a big yeah. deal. So what we have here is the uh, 
the famous. This is probably the most famous story, uh, the most famous event that is involving Barnabas is him actually Which leaving is a the sad stage. Thing when you think about it, I know because it is sad that you know the reason Barnabas that this is the most famous thing, but um, we see Barnabas taking this guy who was his cousin or whatever. So there's a bit of ple- uh, nepotism in there, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, he's taking this guy along, tr- hoping to kind of put his arm around him and give him a second chance. And Paul's saying, no, we don't want this guy. He's, he is useless to me. But they go, and Paul and Silas go in one way, and Barnabas and Mark go back to Cyprus. Now, did they go to Cyprus to go to the beach in Limassol? No. <laughs> they went to preach the gospel. Yeah. And because of that, the gospel actually multiplied. Now, maybe they went home to kind of... Maybe it was so that uh, Barnabas could men- mentor Mark a bit more or whatever. But the upshot is that Mark actually... We have the first chrono- chronological gospel mm-hmm. in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Well, um, it, you know, one of the things that, that interests me here is, it. you know, we don't get a whole lot of detail about Barnabas and Mark's journey. No. We, because it, it, the next chapter takes over with Paul and Silas and, and tells us where they're going. Okay, so let's go back to the first missionary journey for a minute. Okay, their path was they left Antioch, and they sailed across to Cyprus, which was an island not too far off the coast of Syria. So they sailed to Cyprus. They travel across the whole island long ways, and they don't really plant any churches there at all. But when they get to the port on the other side, they head north, and they land in the Galatia area, or actually I guess that's the, uh, what do you call it, Phrygia area. But anyway, they go up into to Galatia from, I guess that would be, left to right, uh, or west to east. So they made this circle into Galatia. Right. It says here that that was basically the plan, to follow the original path. So uh, when they left, Barnabas took the original path. He (laughs) and Mark went in, in the same direction Paul and Barnabas went to Cyprus. Paul takes Silas and goes inland instead. Instead of going by sea at all, they travel along the Mediterranean up through Syria into Cilicia and come from west to east into Galatia. So they're kind of going into the same place. They're just going they're just doing circles. They're opposite going, yeah, directions. Opposite yeah. directions. And so one of the things I'm often curious about, because when you read the second missionary journey, what happens is Paul and Silas are planning on hitting all the Galatian uh, churches and just seeing how they are, strengthen them, et cetera, et cetera. But the Holy Spirit pushes them. Right. And they end up going west and further west and further west until they go all the way to the Aegean Sea and they hit Troy and then jump up into Europe. I mean, it goes crazy. This second missionary trip is insane. Right. Um, but it makes me wonder where Barnabas and... John Mark. And John Mark went. And maybe it says several times that Paul wanted to go south into Phrygia. But the spirit forbade him to yeah. do that, and, and kept pushing him west. 
maybe it makes sense if Barnabas and Saul are in that area that the Spirit doesn't need them both in that right. area. Right, and he's yeah. going, no, they've got that covered. You go right. up there. Right. So wow. Anyway, I just thought it was kind of interesting. That, that'd be that, that the Spirit is theory. using this, it's, he's using this uh, event, this dispute. To spread his gospel. To spread the gospel. Twice yeah. as fast. And, yeah. and twice as many places. Mm-hmm. He, yeah. he, one missionary group becomes two. But um, isn't it interesting? I'm, I'm looking at Second Timothy chapter four here, mm-hmm. uh, verse eleven. Uh, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful for me <laughs> in the ministry. <laughs> so you've a got different tune now. Years later. First of all, you've got two gospel writers in the one verse. Right. <laughs> and both very, very linked to Paul. But instead of Paul saying that Mark is useless, he's now saying he is very useful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've, I've listened, listened to the Theonauts on and off since it started. In that time, in the Christian news section, there's been pastor after pastor after pastor or Christian singer after Christian singer after Christian singer having to leave their positions because of some uh, something they've done. Maybe it was sexual. Maybe they were bullying their staff uh, or something like that. But Buy, how, Buying your own books. <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Buying <laughs> Mark Driscoll. <laughs> nice. But um, sorry, isn't it sorry. funny? That once a pastor slips once or whatever, a lot, a lot, swathes and swathes of people just have no use for them whatsoever, and that's it. They're done. They'll never be mm-hmm. ministers again. Mm-hmm. Isn't it f- sad that that's the way it is when we see in Scripture... Yeah, one strike and you're out. ...that that's not the case? Mm-hmm. That's so good. That's a true point. You know... It's it really is um, for me something, and I was like this at, 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 at myself at one time. But you know, I was talking about the country singer Alan Jackson who had an affair. But since his affair, he, um, he has him and his wife have reconciled. They've got back together. He's some, singing some really good country songs now. <laughs> I know you're not a country fan. <laughs> Which is hilarious that an Irishman's talking about Alan Jackson. We go to, ahead, to go Texas. That's right. Texans. Yeah. But, uh, well, it, I, it, it's because I work, I kind of got turned on because they play that country music at my work all the time. Oh, yeah, I'm you sure. can't help it. You're working at a Whataburger in Texas. In Texas. But, yeah. um, <laughs> but I was talking about himself. Well, well, didn't he have an affair? And didn't he sing Five O'Clock Somewhere? I like Five O'Clock Somewhere. By the way, that's a great song. But, um, <laughs> you know, so, yeah, someone has done that thing, and that's all they can ever think about. Yeah. But there's no, you know, since that time, the guy seems to have gone on leaps and bounds. Yeah. But that's all they ever think about. And I just think it's very, very sad and very, yeah. uh, it's a, a very sad indictment in Christianity. Yeah, but in, in, in the flip the side of that is when we actually see guys like Barnabas giving grace in these yeah. situations to not only just, you know, Christian sheep, but in many ways Christian leaders. Yeah. 
I mean, uh, you know, uh, I, don't, I don't know how much Mark was a, a leader, but I know he was a prominent figure, and he lived in the house of Peter, and there was all this stuff that happened, you know, um, that made him a very prominent person in Christianity. Mm. Um, so anyway, but everyone has their, their flaws, right? I mean... Um, uh, even Barnabas himself. And we're, we're going to talk about that. Uh, we're going to talk about Galatians chapter 2, verse 13. Um, okay. Galatians 2, 13. Uh, okay, obviously this is where the Gla- where Paul is getting on to the Galatians, <laughs> and he's getting on to, to them for being Judaizers and for going back into this whole idea of, of uh, law-keeping in order to find justification. And, he's ta- and he has issues with Peter, but Peter's not the only one uh, in this situation. In verse 13 of Acts or Galatians 2, it says, And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas, mm. the word even yeah. is very telling, isn't it's it? It's potent. Yes. yes. And especially coming from Paul. Mm-hmm. I mean, Paul knows Barnabas so well at this point, right? Yeah. He says, even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. It's almost like it's a, ugh, even Barnabas. Mm. Like, it's just a, ugh, I can't believe this is happening to all my brothers and sisters. Uh, you know, giving Barnabas' background, it would have been very easy for him to do this from the outset, though. Yes, uh, I, I agree there, but... Um, what I want to think think about is he's seeing maybe people he has he has known for years and years doing this, uh, only eating with other Jews. He's probably well, I seen mean Peter, people, yeah. Well, people that he has been around for a long, long time. Even some of the people who maybe aren't even mentioned in the Bible, but some of them he who he knew even before in the BC days. Mm-hmm. And he's seeing these people who are now Christians, but he's saying, you know, and they're saying, you know, you have to, you know, be circumcised and whatever. And he's doing this. And I almost think he's, it's the flip side, the compassion mm-hmm. type thing, because he's seeing people doing their best in a sense, mm-hmm. but he's actually been carried away from it. It's, I I've found myself that I'm I'm liable to this uh, at times of seeing people I respect and not really want to rock the boat that much, right? By not speaking out or by not acting different differently, and I think that's something that I am. <clears throat> you know, it is something that um, Barnabas was flawed in that he can't. He was wanting to be so non-confrontational that he was carried away in this hypocrisy because he was obviously speaking very boldly to non-Jews but at the same time only hanging out with Jews. Right. And that may have even been worse than the Judaizers because he's saying one thing but actually living... A different way. Yeah, mm. living in isolation, Christ- yeah. Christian isolation, or cliques. Yeah. Um, and there is some dispute as to whether or not the the letter to the Galatians was written before or after the Jerusalem Council yeah. of Acts 15. There's this, you know, somewhat of a debate there. 
But I do find it interesting that in the Jerusalem Council, Barnabas and Paul are on the same side on this issue. Yeah. Like, in fact, whenever in, in Acts 15, whenever the apostles there at Jerusalem decide, okay, this is what, the, what we're going to send to the Galatians, uh, this is what they, they, uh, they say. And it says, it seemed good to, to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. And they sent Judas called, called Bersabbas and Silas. Of course, Silas coming up again. Right. So, um, so anyway, they, were, they seemed to be united on this um, because it mentions Barnabas and Paul again here. Uh, it also talks about how Barnabas and Paul uh, ta- uh, spoke well about uh, the situation early on and, and gave them a good report from the area. So I just find it really interesting where where Barnabas slipped in the whole sure you know thing, whether it was before this and he came back to his senses here by the time they got to the Jerusalem Council or whether it was, you know, afterward. But anyway, it's interesting. Hmm. That is interesting. I wonder. I wonder. So what else you got there, Richard? I think that's basically me done for the night. Um, <laughs> I think uh, just to wrap up, it is uh, very interesting, you know, how someone who a lot of people just kind of glaze over can be so pivotal, mm-hmm. you know, and I find myself doing that with the Bible a lot, you know, there's maybe a, a, an event that's only, ma- you know, only mentioned briefly, but when you actually look at it, it's so pivotal. And mm-hmm. so here's a guy who, without him, the Bible as we know it probably wouldn't exist. Um, but at the same time, took a very seemed to take a very background kind of uh, approach. And I think there's a lot of for everyday Christians. A lot of people are kind of don't know where to be at really. Yeah. With, with Christianity, they, they know they're not really maybe cut out to be leaders, but they don't know where they can be. But maybe being in the background, in a supporting role, or in a as encouragers, or someone, you know, people who pray are, are amazing. People yeah, who are yeah. praying are... It makes a lot of difference. It you know, makes a, a lot of difference. You know, I, I remember a story one time that I heard <clears throat> about a uh, an older gentleman at a congregation that we used to... Uh, that we used to frequent, and the guy, um, the guy kind of passed away, and so they were having, you know, um, some church disputes, and things were getting out of hand, and they were like, you know what, we never realized that man's role in our congregation mm. until he was gone, and now we see that he was the peacemaker. He yeah. was the one who kept us from being where we're at right now. You know, all these disputes happening and stuff. And they, and so, you know, the guy was like never a preacher. He was never a big song leader or worship leader or anything like that. He was just a, a quiet guy in the assembly. But that guy had a big role. You know, when you look at your computer, for instance, you see all the important pieces you think, right? You see mm-hmm. the screen, the lights up, you see the keyboards. I'm just using a computer analogy because it's <laughs> Cause you're me. staring at one. That's right. You see, you know, the cord, you see all these different out, out you know, external things that are right at your face. But nobody ever notices the motherboard. 
<laughs> on the inside, right? Nobody ever notices the RAM, yeah, or you know the uh, the uh, CPU, yeah, all, CPU, all the, the processor, really chip. important parts. They're all inside, and you know they're all the hardest working, ding 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 ding, and the most that that you just don't see. Mm-hmm. And I believe that Barnabas is a great example of those people in the church who are so faithful, that are so sold out, that are willing to sell a plot of land and give it all to the Lord, willing to train up, willing to stand in the gap for others and encourage mm-hmm. others, and then willing to go on missionary journeys and all this other stuff. But they're working behind the scenes, and they're not flashy, and yeah. they, you know, they're not the people up front. They're the people that make the church hum. And so, you know, be a Barnabas. That's, right. It's, this is a great it's, it's point. It's a great thing to aspire to. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to be the next Francis Chan or the next David uh, Platt or... That's right. Or, you know, all these these guys that people all look up to and they all revere, you know, I want to be the next John Piper. or what. Well, why don't you just be the next Barnabas? Yeah. And because uh, there's a lot that could be done there. Yeah. <laughs> the church couldn't so, function without it. Right. Yeah. right. Amen. So you got some news for us, man? I do, man. And now, the news. So, what if I ask you this question? What do you, or what, who do you believe, what city, (laughs) what city do you believe would be, if we were ranking them, ranked highest on most Bible-minded based city? Bible-minded. What city would be the most Bible-minded? Yes. Portland, Oregon. No. <laughs> wow. What do you think? Francisco. San- no, <laughs> definitely not. Uh, I'm going to say, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's got to be somewhere in the Bible Belt, though. Yeah, it has to be. has to be. Yeah. Like uh, somewhere in Alabama. You're close. Am I? You're close. You're not in Alabama. Roll time. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> Georgia. You're still close, but you're not there at, yet. At, oh, it's not Atlanta? No. <laughs> I don't know. What do you got? All right. So Barna did, a, did their yearly oh, yeah. study on most Bible-minded. The study defines Bible-mindedness based on how often the participants read the Bible and how accurate they believe the Bible to be. Mm. In this study, for the second year in a row and also the fourth year total... Overall, Chattanooga, Tennessee was named the most Bible-minded city in America by the Bible Society and Barna. American Bible Society and Barna. Yay. It's because they're listening to Finding Christ in Cinema. That's right. Chattanooga, Tennessee. The thing is, if it wasn't a a Christian organization, I would have said it was maybe Salt Lake City, Utah, because, you know, very They're hardcore, yeah. Yeah. But, of course, they're Mormons. but, um, But, of course... Um, they're only half the Bible minded. The yeah, other they're... half is Book of Mormon. Yeah, which is not the Bible. No, certainly. Not. <laughs> okay, anyways, based on the study, uh, in its fifth year, Southern states are still the most Bible minded, while the top five from last year: Birmingham, Alabama; Roanoke and Lynchburg, Virginia; Tri Cities, Tennessee; and Shreveport, Louisiana, remain the same. The study found that some growth in cities like Jackson, Mississippi. And Springfield, Missouri, which jumped three spots and four spots, respectively. Ah, see, I was close. Yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty close. What would you say is the least Bible-minded city in the United States? San Francisco. I'm still going to go with Portland, Oregon. All right. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't it say. Doesn't say uh, but definitely it's not Las Vegas, Nevada, which is what I would say. 
Sin City. Oh maybe. yeah, that would that would make sense too. Yeah, definitely. So, yep, way to go, Bible Belt. Um, by the way, nationally, Barna found only twenty five percent of the country to be Bible minded. It's interesting that there was uh, no hmm. cities in Texas. I, I noticed Chief Court, which is just outside, but other there's no cities in Texas in there. Hmm. It's interesting. All right, so the case that sparked the national movement, Black Lives Matter, the Michael Brown yeah. Ferguson <clears throat> case has been settled. 1.5 million in wrongful death settlements hmm. to the Michael Brown family. Um Almost three years later, after Darren Wilson was not charged in the killing, the city of Ferguson, Missouri, has agreed to settle with the Brown uh, family for 1.5 mil. The lawsuit was against the city of Ferguson, Wilson, and former police chief Tom Jackson because of Ferguson's culture of hostility against black people that led to the death of Brown, an uh, accusation supported by the Department of Justice's findings. This news comes as three cops who murdered black citizens have been acquitted in a single week. The city's insurance policy could have allowed them to pay up to $3 million. It's very interesting to say three cops who murdered weren't charged. It, it's a very interesting choice of words there. Yes, um, it is. Uh, what what was the uh, source there? That is Relevant Magazine. Mm. Interesting. Surprising. And I'm wondering if they copied from some of the, somebody else because that is it's very left-leaning in that yeah. choice of words. Yeah. It's uh, pretty crazy. U.S. is prepared, uh, prepares to deport hundreds of Iraqi Christians. Have you heard about this? The U.S. prepares to? Mm-hmm. No, I have not heard that. More than 1,400 Iraqis in America are on the docket to be returned to their country of Oregon, escorted by law enforcement officers, and the first of the Iraqis board a small plane in Louisiana in April bound for Baghdad. Um, but what we don't, what you're not hearing about is the fact that there are dozens of Iraqi children, uh, Christians rounded up in Michigan's just Michigan just in the past weekend. And the fact that there are hundreds that are being deported mm. back to bad dad, which is, it's a big deal for Christians to be deported. Mm. Um, because they're going to get killed. The, yeah. They're, <laughs> yeah. Um, that's a problem for me. I just, I have to say, you know, no matter what your, uh, affiliation is, if you're going to deport somebody back into uh, a place where they can be, yeah, religiously beheaded for their belief, it's crazy hmm. to me, anyways. Yeah, what do you think? I think it's uh, it's shocking. I think it's absolutely appalling. Um, yeah. To to be honest, um, I'm not really surprised that it's happened because of some of the things that uh, has gone on but it seems that it seems that immigrants are kind of being immigrants or, and refugees are kind of being made a scapegoat at them, uh, within uh, politics now I'm against illegal immigration I think it's a, you know, a law and order thing you know, well, yeah, you came over here legally, and I, you know, you know it, and it's you very hard for it. Very unfair yes. to people like me, who who paid a lot of money, went through medical tests to do it illegally. But at the same time, we have people here who aren't necessarily just economic migrants who are coming to this. That you know, 
I don't know if people realise outside America how America is seen as this kind of beacon of freedom, as this beacon of religious liberty. And they're coming here looking for the same thing that millions and upon millions of people have came here in the past for, and they're being deported mm-hmm. back into a place where they might die. It's, it's absolutely appalling and shocking. Yeah. The thing becomes a logistic issue, though, because uh, yeah. I'm playing devil's advocate here. Sure. So because on the flip side of that, all you have to do is claim Christianity, hang around. So, I mean, can you really keep and de- and deport people based on their religious... Uh, Affiliation? Yeah. And I'm thinking just completely outside of a Christian mindset, but from a from a, a governmental... Give them a test. Yeah, it's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> How many scriptures can you quote? <laughs> Go. <laughs> I'm, I'm not even saying that we should only allow Christians. And I'm, what I'm saying is that these people are susceptible to that if they're mm-hmm. Yasadis, even if there's other kinds of Muslims out there. You know, 99.9% of Muslims, in my opinion, are peaceful people. They don't want anything to do with violence and whatever. Of course, they're not Christians. They need to be Christians. But, you know, where... And, and I'm talking in the West in general here. Mm-hmm. Where are we in society at the minute? Where you know we were, we were the kind of the leaders of freedom and whatever. Where we can't kind of even let people who were persecuted in. Now, in saying that, there are people who have claimed to be refugees, and who weren't and are actually economic yeah. migrants, or worse, they're using their refugee status as a way to infiltrate um, uh, the West and America. Mm. That's actually been happening, by the way, since the Korean War, um, where uh, the communists uh, pretended to be uh, refugees and went behind American lines. Yeah, that's true. um, So it's, it's an old game, but at the same time, where we, in the West in general, were... The people who really need to be here are being deported. Yeah, it's a it's a big hairy deal. So, uh, yeah, okay, sorry. Yes, it is a big de- hairy deal. And I was listening to you. I was just distracted. Okay, anyways, <laughs> <laughs> there is going to be a new biblical series coming out, but it's not a biblical series that uh, would be modern. It's actually going to be a new show based on John Milton's Paradise Lost. Really? <laughs> yes. Recounting I wonder how creation close to the text is going to be. All the way through the fall and then, you know, yeah, yeah. Paradise Lost. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I don't know, but guess who's going to be, uh, guess who's producing it? <laughs> Bil- Keanu Reeves. Bilbo Baggins. <laughs> I kid what? you not. Uh, Martin Freeman. Really? Yeah, Bilbo's going to be producing wow. it. They they don't know what network it's going to air on, but this is the pitch that's happening. So I'm kind of excited because I love the 17th century poem, Paradise yeah. Lost. Right. It's pretty powerful. And uh, even though it, theologically it may be a little out there or a little uh, yeah. bit different than than what a lot of people understand, it did shape our understanding of hell so much more than even Scripture did. Definitely. Uh, And it's not just hell, but heaven as well. Yeah. And angels and and Satan. I mean, all this imagery that we have in our minds. A lot of it comes from Milton's Paradise Lost. That's right. Mm -hmm. You can 
trace it back to those origins. So uh, I'm I'm kind of looking forward to that. I think that that's going to be a really really yeah, fun. Follow that up with Dante's Inferno. Yes, there you go. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, okay, how about this this headline from Fox News World that you sent me earlier? Cracks me up. <laughs> Stillborn lambs sent by the devil terrorize southern African villagers. Government officials in South Africa have moved to calm fears that a deformed land resembling, in some people's minds, a human baby as a result of a bestiality with the work of the devil. <laughs> so... The photo is so creepy looking. Yeah, I saw it's that. just a stillborn lamb, but it does look creepy. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> Photos of the stillborn lamb went viral on social media this week. Horrifying villagers in Eastern Cape settlements in Lake Fear, approximately 200 miles from Bo Lake Fear. Yeah, Bol. Uh, but this kind uh, of Frere, uh, Bo I don't know some Bloemfontein. Thank you. No, oh, okay. Yeah, you. You, you Irishman. Someone who watches <laughs> cricket and rugby a lot. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about this stuff? This natural scare stuff. It's nuts to me that that people would be like, "Oh, it's you know, it's the Satan lamb." Sounds like something from maybe uh, from Canterbury Tales or something. You know. <laughs> Well, it mentions that the elders from the yeah. local village were the ones who brought it up. The elders, when they saw it, said it was sent by the devil and was born the after... Devil. Yeah. It's sent by the devil. Devil. It was born after a coupling between a man and a sheep, and there was panic. Said <laughs> <laughs> a villager quoted by the sun. And everybody has to start quoting science. Yeah. This cannot happen. There's yes, not enough chromosomes. It's not working. It's not going to function. Yeah. Many people are... St- are still afraid and will not be happy until it is burned. <laughs> the, the, the article. Kill it with fire. Yes, that's the Kill only way. Kill it with way. fire. Cleanse it. All right. We have found a. We have found a devil, baby. May, May we, we burn, burn it? it? <laughs> All right. Last but certainly not least, I have some Christian uh, history. Oh, I was getting ready to hit the Pope news. Yeah, hey, I skipped that. No, oh, okay. It's kind of dumb. The Pope visited the NFL Hall of Fame. Oh, okay. Into the Pope news. Into the Pope news. But Instead, this we're going to jump in the TARDIS. This is way. This is way better. Uh, and this actually happened yesterday, June twenty second, in sixteen thirty three. Can you think of anything that happened in sixteen what thirty three? No. Galileo was frustrated. Ah. A web of deceit and hatred had closed around him. As the 69-year-old man faced the Inquisition Inquisition on this day, June 22, 1633, he hoped to get at least two charges in the statement his judges insisted he sign. Do not make me say I have not not been a good Catholic, he pleaded, for I have been one and will remain one no matter what my enemies say, and I will not say that I intend to deceive anyone, especially with the publication of my book. I submitted it in good faith to the church censors and printed it only after legally obtaining a license. The judges agreed. They rewrote the words of his confession as they should have been. (laughs) For, as Galileo knew, most of the men who were sentencing him held his same opinions, that the earth spun on its axis and orbited the sun. Yep. With his new injunctions before him, Galileo knelt and repeated words demanded of him. He was strongly suspected of heresy. 
he had held to believe that the sun is the center of the world and immovable, that the earth is not the center and moves. Galileo then signed another statement. I, then said Galileo Galilee, have abjured, sworn, promised, and bound myself as above, and in witness to the truth thereof, I have with my own hand subscribed the present document of adjournment and recited the words from Rome, word at Rome in the uh, convent of Malaria, 22nd mm-hmm. June, 1633. So, yeah, he walks out and he says, I recount, I recount, as he's shaking his head, yeah. that he knows the truth that the earth orbits the sun, yeah. that they made him recant on this day, or actually yesterday, in mm-hmm. 1633. Backwards-minded people. Yep. So crazy. There's people who still don't believe that um, <laughs> the heliocentric system and the heliocentric solar system. There are people that that actually believe the Earth is flat too. So <laughs> yeah, the flat Earthers <laughs> more than you would think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's coming back. It's making kind of like a comeback. Yeah. Have you notice that? Yeah. Oh yeah. It's so dumb. Yeah. <laughs> we, my wife and I, are actually members of Christian forums, and it has there is like three or four members who are actively. Uh, espousing the flat earth theory mm-hmm. and just won't listen to reason, you know, that, but it must be the biggest, consp- if the, if the earth is flat, it must be the biggest conspiracy theory ever. Yeah. Because you'd have to have airline pilots in on it, TV stations. Oh, there's this people who are in the amateur radio. There's all way would too have much, to be into it. There's way too much physics. I mean, uh, our sap- physics are based on. Do they? Yeah. Not, I mean, how do they believe that we are communicating via via satellite? If a satellite's not orbiting the Earth, I mean, there's there's all this stuff that we have. Right. I mean, it's like, well, we can do fourth grade. We can do fourth grade science experiments that prove yeah. that the Earth is round. I mean, by you know measurements with the with the with the sun and and. Uh, and our shadows. Yeah, it's so it's kind of, it's absolutely pointless. And the fact that you can actually get on a plane <laughs> yeah. and you can circumvent the earth. Right. And it's been done. Yeah, go one way and end up on the other side. <laughs> right. Actually, it used to, the, uh, there was a flight from Australia. The longest nonstop flight was from Sydney to DFW and it actually went over the North Pole. Mm-hmm. So it, it really is stupid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amen to that. All right. So, wh- what else you got? Is that it? I think that's it, man. Okay, we've got uh, some feedback. Sweet. So, uh, yeah, and I, I, I still don't have my stinger for that. So, voicemail, email, email. What was it? Email. Okay. Email. So, so we got a um, we got an email from uh, a listener by the name of Luke that we haven't heard from before. Cool. He says, "Hey guys." My name is Luke. I'm 17 years old from Jacksonville, Florida, and I love the podcast. Wow. You guys have been so helpful in strengthening my faith and have given me a view of just how intricate, unique, and beautiful God's Word is. Thank you guys so much for all that you do. We really all appreciate it. Your prayer series couldn't have come at a better time for me, but I did have one question for you guys. How do we know when God is calling us to prayer or action? Thanks so much, Luke. Mm. That's a really that's a really good question. I, I guess I can jump on at the offset 
and say that you're called to prayer all the time. (laughs) So the prayer never stops. Pray without ceasing. Yes. And the idea is um, you should have a um, communing spirit with with the Holy Spirit in such a way that... uh, that you're continually in mm-hmm. that connection. Now I'm not talking about walking around with your eyes closed, running into, running into signs, but I am talking about living a prayerful life. And what that means is being observant and, and being aware that the Holy Spirit is with you wherever you're going. Yeah. And if you're <clears throat> doing that, then there will be natural, um, I call them pings, Mm-hmm. of the Holy Spirit. There are natural pings of the Holy Spirit when you're walking around in your daily routine that tell you, hey, you need to go over to that guy. Right. Hey, you, you need to spend some time w- with that person or you need to stop what you're doing over here and, and focus on in this. And, you know, that's the picture that Paul gives us in the New mm-hmm. Testament, right? Where he's forbidden right. to go yeah, into yeah. A, a, an area. Mm-hmm. So anyways. Yeah, and I, I think that, uh, for one, I was a little confused about the question. Uh, because he says, how do you know when God is calling us to prayer or action? So I don't know if he's... if, he, if Prayer versus action. Right. Like, if uh, I didn't know if, if maybe Luke is asking us, uh, how, do you, to, how do I know when to pray and when to actually do something? Like, like what's the difference there? Sure. And, and I think it actually is largely the, kind of what you said. Um, when you're called to action... Like it's a it bugs you. Like right. there's something bugging you. You can't let it go. It it it's like constantly there. Mm-hmm. And so I guess uh, you know in some t- in some cases, if you have the ability to do something, my inclination would be do it. Amen. Because even if you're not feeling called, and that's one of the things that you have to know about about agape love, it's not a feeling. No. And you may not feel the desire. Uh-uh. Like, in, in fact, a lot of things that we, are, we do and we're called to do through Christian love are not fun things. They're not, it's like, oh, yeah, I really enjoy going out and, and uh, burning at the stake, you know. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, you, those the things that we do that, that draw us are oftentimes the things that we don't want to do. Jesus Christ himself sweating blood at in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, does that mean he's not called to go to the cross? No. It's right the opposite. Amen. So, so sometimes those things that, uh, that if you're asking if I'm called to action, chances are you are. Yeah. I'm just yeah. saying. If, if, if you're thinking, maybe I should, could I? If those questions are coming up, that could be the Holy Spirit calling you into action. That's right. And I'll be, be very careful... So, warning ahead. So, let's say that, who knows, you may be being called into missions, right? Mm -hmm. You may be called to Haiti or Mm -hmm. something like that. Be very careful in the days coming up uh, to question that calling. Mm -hmm. Um, What I mean by that is don't blow that off. Mm -hmm. This is not something that that you should blow off. In fact, this is not something you should go, oh, I, I can... I can just pray for that person. Right. If you feel, uh, if you have a a, a ping in your spirit yeah. that says, "Hey, you need to go help those people," then guess what? The field is ripe for the harvest, and few are the harvesters. Right. That's that's right. Jesus constantly says those types of things. Absolutely. And so, uh, and then that's <clears> another <throat> really good point. 
the last thing I was thinking of was um, make sure that your action backs up with Scripture. Mm-hmm. So your your action your action, the Holy Spirit never contradicts Scripture ever. Right. And so if your action is contradictory to to, to Scripture, then then guess what? That's not a that's, <laughs> that's not a Holy Spirit action right there. Yeah. But uh, but He does call you to action, and if it's backed up with Scripture, guess what? You should probably do it. Mm-hmm. Right. So. But yeah, and I would I would just you know emphasize that. Nine times out of ten, what you're called to do is not always what you want to do. Just do it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. just do it. Take yeah, your I, dreams. I so, yeah. <laughs> Make hey, them reality. I hear so many people say, you know, well, you know, I know that needs to be done, but I just don't really feel called to it. But a lot of times, what their meaning is, I really don't want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, and if we're honest with ourselves, that's that's the truth. Yeah, mm. and so. Be in prayer and action. <laughs> I guess is the is uh, there are going to be those situations where you can't help, you can't be a uh, you can't be of any assistance. And if you're truly in prayer, then it's going to lead to action. Yeah, and you're 17 years old. Oh yeah. There's there's plenty of op- you may not be in the situation to do certain things at your age that you will be able to do later on in life. Sure. So um, be patient as well yeah. in what God's calling you to do. Most definitely. So. Thanks for writing in, by the way. That's yes, awesome. it's great yeah. to hear from. What you. I was going to say is, uh, you know, Moses was eighty before he found out what his true purpose was, which was to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. Mm, that's a good point. Um, you know, and he he didn't see the fruition of that himself. So, don't be like, you know, what how I ended up there is a lot of people don't know really what to be at in church. It can be very very frustrating when you have this vision and it hasn't been fulfilled for years and years and years and years and that that can and will happen mm-hmm. sure you know and sometimes the vision comes maybe much quicker than that than that happens to that which is what happened with our church it was you know my wife and I had Jeremiah and some people over for a game night and we're talking about um uh, the possibility of David and Jeremiah starting a church, and uh, the the words were years down the line. Two months later, we've started a church. So, <laughs> you know, uh, things happen. Uh, sometimes it can take a long, long time. Sometimes it can happen very quickly. Yeah, man plans his ways, but God directs his steps. Right? Amen. That's All right, good. let's get out of here. Deal. The Theonauts are part of the Great Commission Transmission Network, using new media and social networking to go into all the world and to proclaim the good news to everyone. To find out more, go to gctnetwork.com, subscribe to the newsletter, and stay up to date with all of our shows, including Finding Christ in Cinema and The Secret Fire Podcast. Visit our website at theonautspodcast.com for show notes and outlines. Listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or your favorite podcast catcher. And be sure to rate us because that helps us reach a larger audience. There are several ways you can contact us and leave us feedback. Send us an email to theonauts at gctnetwork.com or give us a call on our voicemail line at 972-885-7270. Tweet to us on Twitter using at Theonautical. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash theonauts. If you like us and want more Theonauts, Drop us a buck or two at patreon.com slash theonauts. Your patronage helps us in our expenses like hosting fees and equipment costs. 
And don't forget to tune in again and explore the vast reaches of God's Word with us. All right, Richard, thanks for being here today. Uh, no problem. You're welcome. Yeah, all thanks. right, Jeremiah, thanks for being here, brother. We'll see you later. All right, God bless. This has been the Theonauts Podcast. Call us with your questions or comments at 972-885-7270. That's 972-885-7270. We'd love to hear from you. You are tuned in to the GCT Network. This is your great commission. This is your great commission transmission. At GCTNetwork.com. Y'all, you got to just tell me we won't have a church fight because I'll get my little Connie and we'll get in her little Buick Enclave. It's paid for and we'll sell what we need to sell and we'll go on down the road and we'll find some little podunk church that don't know up from down and I'll find me a dozen Joe's baskets who don't have a pot or a window and who will shout Jesus and I'll give the rest of my life to them. <laughs>